Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Off of the back of Veganuary, it's important to keep the discussion of worldwide health, personal performance and sustainability going. And to do that, we've invited Dr. Sean Baker onto the podcast to talk about the carnivore diet, a seemingly opposed diet that seeks to serve a very similar purpose. Interestingly, the vegan movement is not the only lens through which to look at the problems we face. In actual fact, the moral, ethical and emotionally charged dogma that comes with much of the current vegan message is perhaps preventing us from seeing the bigger picture. Due to the ideology of veganism, it has the opportunity to alienate through judgment, remove free choice, and even fuel the problems we have around nutrition and sustainability. We should be looking to have inclusive discussion and seek collaborative solutions versus dividing populations based on moral standing. So, in the spirit of having an open mind and broadening the discussion, this podcast explores the carnivore diet and why Dr. Sean Baker and many others around the world have taken to this extreme diet approach. It also attempts to correct some misconceptions of meat eating, as well as look at the problems we face around nutrition and sustainability from a different perspective. Guys, this is a fascinating discussion that quite frankly, needs to be had. As opposed to vegans versus meat eaters, this discussion highlights where we really need to be focusing. And it could be the start for collaborative and productive dialogue regarding planet and human health. So much is discussed, tons of facts, the bunking of propaganda and insights that quite frankly could leave you questioning your current belief structure. I think you're gonna enjoy this one guys. And if you wanna carry this conversation on, which we'd love to, by the way, then you know what to do. Hit us up on the Adapt Nation Facebook page. Until then, get comfortable and listen into this great conversation with Dr. Sean Baker. Adapt Nation. So guys, very excited today. We have a gentleman on the line who is a little polarizing, um, but is pushing the boundaries in having and helping us understand diet at its extreme levels. So we have Dr. Sean Baker with us today. Hi, Sean. Steve, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And um, just as a bit of a background for the guys listening, um, Sean Baker is a orthopedic surgeon or has been for many years and um, a few years ago exited the healthcare system to focus on his own health and making a bigger impact. He's known at the moment for being the world's leading proponent, proponent of the carnivore diet. That's right, the carnivore diet, meat-only diet. And uh, Sean is, is a, a specimen of a human being. He's tall, strong, very athletic, and has set a number of records across strongmen and fitness, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. And Sean, just before I pass the mic on to you to correct and also uh, yeah, further um, add some additional detail, what I love about you is the fact that you're, you stand up for what you believe in. You put science behind your actions. 
Um, I think you give as good as you get. And, and as much as you are polarizing, um, you are enabling a good, healthy debate against uh, the vegan movement, which I think is needed for us all to navigate and understand what to do with our health and nutrition. And I think you're exposing some beautiful truths about the benefits of meat, which for the last decade or so has been um, attacked for all of its negative impacts it can have on health and nutrition. So, Sean, please correct everything I've just said wrong in terms of your introduction and your backstory. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Yes, yeah, Steve, thanks. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think most generally what you said is, is you know, I think for the most part on target. Um, you know, I, I would just like to say that there are many people uh, involved in this movement now that, that have been around for quite quite a while and they've they've advanced the movement. And uh, I, 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 I guess it would be true to say that I'm probably one of the leading proponents of this. But certainly, this is not a, a one man operation. And I think that uh, it's interesting because I think a lot of the problems we have just in general regarding nutrition is just the nutrition science in general is unfor unfortunately not uh, a great tool to tell us what you and I should eat individually. There's just a lot of problems with the way we do, you know, with just the limitations of the research in general. And so I think we, we still have a lot of things we don't know. And I think mm -hmm. the the fact that, that there are people out there that are thriving on a diet, which you know, by most people's estimation would be something that would be the, the worst diet on, on the planet kind of tells you that, you know, maybe we don't, we don't know, um, everything we think we know. And I think that's just an interesting, uh, you know, interesting observation and more is, more is coming out, you know, almost on a, you know, on a weekly basis where we're learning more and more about stuff. And, and I think we'll continue to do so for, for the foreseeable future. I agree. I agree. And I must admit, Prior to hearing you on the Joe Rogan podcast, I had not really heard about uh, a carnivore diet for humans in in modern times at all. So you're definitely the loudest voice, I, I would say, at least what's um, starting to hit mainstream. Talk to me a little bit before we kind of get into the the nitty gritty of you know the diet principles and its value. Talk to me a little bit about why the carnivore diet in the first place. Maybe kind of what led you towards exploring. Um, this what looks like quite an extreme choice of uh, nutrition. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm 52 now, and so prior to that, I'd say about a decade ago, I could, you know, I could largely eat what I wanted, you know, and 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 I remained healthy, and I was happy, and I didn't have any problems, and that that lasted until you know my early 40s, and then I started to see my health decline, and despite the fact that I was still engaged in, you know, very, uh, intense physical activity, still competing very, uh, at high levels as an athlete, I was noting, noticing health decline. And so then I decided to, you know, start experimenting with diet and, you know, the guiding principles for me were, you know, what actually worked for me. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I was really, you know, wanting to look at that in terms of, you know, a number of things, how I felt, how my body composition was, and then, and then also importantly, athletic uh, performance. And so I, I, you know, I went through a whole variety of different diets. It wasn't like the first thing I decided out of the blue is I'm just going to eat meat. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I had an evolution of, you know, things. I went on a low calorie diet, you know, low fat, you know, uh, nearly vegetarian, you know, a little bit of small amounts of lean chicken diet. And that worked to lose, help me lose weight. Uh, it wasn't sustainable. I was pretty miserable on that, quite honestly. And then I, transition into a more paleo style diet, which I quite enjoyed. And, and then as, as I continued to read, I continued to experiment. I ended up uh, for a time about two, two and a half years on a ketogenic diet. And then I just continued to 
you know, the natural progression, I, I started seeing people that were having success on an all meat diet and looking into the history of it and some of the success, some of the athletes from years gone by had with similar diets. And I thought I, you know, I decided to try it myself and, you know, I felt pretty good. I mean, quite honestly, I'd felt the best I'd felt in, in, you know, a decade or so. And, and then I, you know, I did it for 30 days and, uh, as it's an experiment and, and then I went back to what I was eating prior and I just didn't feel as good. And, and I thought all things being equal, I would rather feel good every day. And, and so I just kind of continued and, you know, now it's, you know, well over two years later, I'm still doing, you know, basically, uh, you know, pretty much an all meat diet. And, and that's, that's my evolution on this. And, and you know, that I've kind of got into the, why this may work, some of the science that we know. I mean, granted there's limited science. It's not something that people have studied recently, but we're, you know, we're seeing that, uh, not, not just myself, but now many thousands upon thousands of people are having very similar results with, you know, just dramatic imp improvements in their health, which is what, you know, and again, if you were to ask me five years ago, well, I thought of somebody on a carnivore diet, I would say they're totally crazy, <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, you know, it's just the way it is and until you do it and, and you see what happens, uh, you know, that that's a normal response, but you know, and you're absolutely right when you put out in the modern context, it's not been very, uh, common, you know, at least in, in most of society, most of the Western society, but there are still cultures, you know, particularly, uh, some of these northern Arctic populations, it's still, that's largely their diet. And then arguably, uh, throughout a much of evolution, man probably had a, uh, if not fully carnivorous, probably a heavily carnivorous diet for much of its, uh, you know, much of its evolution. So I don't think it's that unusual in the, in the grand scheme of human experience. You know, I, I think that's, uh, probably more, you know, I, you know, I, I think we are not a plant-based species. I think we're a meat-based species and that's what made us who we are as humans. And I think that, you know, it, it, you know, we don't have any, here's a problem when we talk about the people that say meat's a problem. Well, they don't, no one eats a meat heavy diet. I mean, no one, you know, what, what they call a meat heavy diet is, you know, three ounces of meat a day. I mean, that's nothing compared to what I'm eating. And, you know, and the rest of it's processed seed oils and, and you know, processed grains and sugar. And, and, and then they somehow conflate that as meat is bad, which I think is terrible. And so we haven't even studied, you know, the last time this diet was formally studied was 1928, you know, to see if it was sustainable or if it would kill you. And the guys that did it, they had no problem at all. They're completely healthy. And so it's not like we've got a, a robust body of evidence that shows us that eating a you know, primarily, primarily carnivorous or, or fully carnivorous diet is in any way unhealthy. In fact, the, the societies in which, uh, you know, historically that people uh, saw that were doing this were noted to be completely free of disease. I mean, that, that, that observation was made over and over and over again, you know, in, in all kinds of published scientific type, scientific literature, you know, throughout the earliest part of the, of the 20th century. And so, you know, it's, it's not that surprising that people are doing well. I, I guess when you contrast it to the standard diet across Western cultures, which is a carb-heavy uh, diet, right? Lots of starches, lots of processed food, uh, lots of cheap produce, generally speaking, with a smattering of meat and uh, some goodness thrown in for the mix. But for the most part, it is a, an extreme U-turn to the diet that we've grown to enjoy over the last 50 to 70 years. Um, I think that's probably what drives a lot of the rebuttal and, uh, you know, resistance and, and, and f for the, the sheer fact that it is extremely limited, at least in terms of what people consider a carnivore diet, right? If it's meat and meat only, um, that's quite a few less options to what people are used to today. How do you, how do you 
overcome that hump when people, you know, throw a bit of a fit when it comes to the idea of the, you know, complete elimination of carbs and complete elimination of starches and things that people have grown used to. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, that that point is, uh, you know, very, very valid in, in the fact that, you know, that's what we've become useful. You know, if I were to propose a carnivore diet uh, in rural Mongolia, you know, particularly 50 years ago, I mean, they'd be like, oh, yeah, no big deal. That was Tuesday. You know, no one, no one would even bat an eye about that. And so it's just kind of what you are culturally accustomed to and what you have available to us. As humans, we didn't always have this variety. I mean, you know, you and I take for granted that we can go to the store and buy 25 flavors of ice cream and, you know, there's, there's you know, 37 flavors of soda and we can heat things up in the microwave. And that is, you know, what we're, we're, we're accustomed to. But that's, that's by, no main, by no means what humans largely have done for most of our existence. But, you know, this is the other misconception about the diet. And I, and I think what the overarching theme, you know, as, as I've come to, to, to do this more and more is, you know, meat is an, an essential part of the human diet. I think it is probably, you know, human nutrition. Now, you know, for the people that, that thrive on that, and many do, they, 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 they just do fine, you know, just eating, you know, basically meat, they may throw some eggs in there and, and, you know, a few other, you know, animal based products like dairy and stuff like that, seafood and, and you know, what have you. For those people, uh, many of them will say after they've done it for two or three months, it's a very freeing and liberating diet because they no longer feel like they're addicted to all these other foods. And they mm -hmm. just have, they have the freedom to say, I don't really want that. So it's not that I can't have that choice. But at the same time, there are people that will do this diet and they will still want to eat, you know, a little bit of things. And I don't have any problem at all with them doing that. And I think that you know, as long as they understand that it's a meat-based diet, and I think that's, that's in my view, a human diet, then, you know, if you tolerate, you know, avocados or berries or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever things you, you, you other, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an advocate of people eating, you know, the, most of the processed garbagey food. I think we can all kind of generally know what that is. But I think if you, you know, if, if you want to have some vegetables and fruit, you know, as a part of your diet, I don't think there's a problem, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's the misconception. But I do say that you have to be objective, uh, about what it does to you. And I think the, the sort of, uh, sort of, you know, blinded belief that there's no, there's no vegetable on the planet can, can be a problem for people when clearly there are people that have issues with them. I mean, I, I see it every day. I mean, whether there's digestive issues, whether there are problems with oxalates in, in certain, plants that, that lead to kidney stones and other problems. I mean, you know, whether it's goitrogens and, you know, cruciferous vegetables, it might lead to, high, to thyroid issues. I mean, we've got, you know, this conception that, you know, if you, as long as you use as many fruits and vegetables as possible, you're going to have perfect health. Well, that doesn't always work out. And, you know, I think we're seeing, particularly with regard to things like autoimmune diseases and, you know, digestive issues that, that eliminating those foods in many cases helps people. So I think it's just being fair about assessing what's actually happened to one's health and being very, very sort of mindful of, you know, how food affects you. And for most people, not everybody, but for most people, meat tends to be uh, very neutral uh, to beneficial. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's what we're seeing, you know, by and large. And, you know, and like I said, for me, if I'm absolutely honest, I just feel the best when I'm just eating a bunch of meat. I mean, when I eat red meat, when I have steaks every day, that, that's how I actually feel and perform my very absolute best. And it's not that I feel that I have to do that 100% of the time, although I often do. Um, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to be absolutely honest with myself about how food impacts my health. 
So a couple of things, just the keying off of that. So I would agree anecdotally and through my own experience of uh, friends and families that meat generally isn't addictive. You know, it's it's nice, it's enjoyable, it's satiating, but I wouldn't I wouldn't attach the addiction <laughs> um, tag to any meats really. I would also say that generally vegetables, you know, lots of vegetables can be problematic, whether it be just, you know, mild bloat and gut issues and things like that, through to, as you say, autoimmune diseases. Gluten is obviously, uh, you know, right in the headlights of um, people's concern around potential autoimmune conditions. And then you've got like the, the the likes of Stephen Gundry that talks about lectins being the, you know, the natural uh, kind of defense that um, plants have against animals and some people can and can't process those well but i guess kind of as as i think through this you know our our stomachs our guts our microbiomes evolve to the habitat and environment in which we we grew up in and i know evolution can't be measured in 50 to 70 years and we have changed our diet significantly within that time frame um but is it not fair to say that whilst vegetables do have some some aspects that could be uh, detrimental to health isn't it a matter of perseverance that you know and if you eat enough legumes or if you eat enough enough cruciferous vegetables or nuts that you adapt and be effective at metabolizing those and you know breaking them down and not having any issues and is it fair to say that perhaps there's an inflammatory response from just the the junk and crap that we eat in and around fruits, vegetables and meats that perhaps is the leading problem versus either one of these whole food camps. Yeah, no, I think that is, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think that, uh, you know, certainly uh, fruits and vegetables, you know, if we look on the epidemiologic study, certainly we see a, a very consistent pattern that people eat more of those uh, tend to have better health outcomes, you know, and again, epidemiology is extremely limited and I don't like to use it as a tool, but I mean, it did, it can provide some clues, but I think the main thing that we're seeing with that is that, you know, when people are eating lots of those food, they tend to eat less of the, you know, to, to put it in, you know, your, your, your UK terms, crisps and biscuits and, you know, the, 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 the garbage food that, that, that we, we displace that with, um, over time. Yeah. I think certainly people that, uh, I do think I think I think there's some truth to the fact that I think some of our a lot of our gastrointestinal issues, which may lead to something called leaky gut syndrome or increased intestinal permeability, probably come from eating just the garbage, hmm. and and that probably makes you more susceptible to some of the other foods that that, that might be out there. Maybe some of these compounds and in, in, in what would otherwise be um, relatively healthy fruits and vegetables and, and some of the other whole foods. I think there's I think that's certainly there's something to that. Um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, people going on a carnivorous diet, they, they heal that. I think that's probably the most gentle on the gut that there is and allows people to heal. And I think some people, and I encourage people to do so is are able to reincorporate some of those other foods back into their diet. But I think, you know, we've got a population that has been, I just don't think the human, uh, uh, you know, physiology has had a chance to adapt to the modern foods that, you know, and when I say modern foods, I, I mean the things that have, that have occurred in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years, you know, the seed oils, the high fructose corn syrup, the highly refined grains and stuff like that, that we, we commonly consume. It's, you know, it's something like 70% of our diet right now. And so, um, 
so yeah, I think there's there's some, something to that. You know, I, like I said, a lot of people use a carnivore diet as a tool. It's an elimination diet. Um, you know, there but there are clearly some people that they that's just what makes them feel the absolute best. And you know, and and, and you know whether or not they need to include those other foods in their diet or not, I think is is an open question. I think it's a fair question. I don't think we know the answer to. But I, I do know that um, I think a fairly good strategy, you know, for talking about health and health span is, you know, how you're feeling day to day. I think that, 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 that is just as powerful as any kind of epidemiologic study that we can go out there and try to predict what your chances of contracting this or that disease 20 years from now, or what you're going to die of. I mean, that, to me, that almost becomes like, you know, talking about religion because you just, you just don't really know. And I don't think our studies really, really shine much more light on that, quite honestly. But you, you will get many, many people that have followed a vegetarian or a vegan diet um, that purport the same benefits, right? You know, I've so many friends or people, affiliates on Facebook and, and other social media platforms will say, you know, since going vegan, I've never felt better. Now, I, I would like to think it's the elimination of, as you say, the junk food, which is giving them that profound uh, contrast in how they felt previously. Um, and you're, you're, you know, stating some great, you know, feeling and health based benefits of just going carnivore. And I, I just can't help but, you know, to, to feel that it's, it's neither, neither one is necessarily better. I think we, I think we probably benefit from both, both meat and vegetables in balance. But it's the stuff in between that we filled our larders with and our fridges with that I think is the issue. Um, but sometimes getting through to people that maybe it's what's staring you in the face, which is the problem versus vegetables are the best things since sliced bread or vice versa. Excuse the pun. I, I, I struggle with giving people the counter. And how do you struggle with countering that discussion when people say, Vegetables have got all the nutrition, all the fiber, all the macro, uh, macro all the micronutrients. They've got everything that you need to sustain. Um, why would I consider meat as an alternative? Yeah, I mean, just just to bring up your to, to answer to your first point. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly I I agree with you that uh, a vegetarian diet or even a vegan diet, you know, if done correctly, can certainly be a huge improvement over the standard diet that most of us eat day to day. And I think there's no doubt that I would say that those people would say I felt better. I mean, I think I would if I if I was stopped eating, you know, uh, the complete garbage and replaced it with whole foods, whether it's plant or animal, you're going to feel yeah. better. I do think there are some significant shortcomings in the vegan diet, which can be and often can be uh, mitigated with proper supplementation. You know, however, there are a lot of people that that for whatever reason it doesn't work. There are different people that have different abilities to process uh, plant compounds and vitamins. You know, they don't have conversion factors genetically that struggle, and so there's there's a high percentage of people that do that diet that just you know, they just fail on that diet, you know, as far as, you know, saying that, you know, you can get everything you need from plants. Um, you know, I, I think technically there's people that can do that. I, I do think that there are many people that probably could not do that and, and clearly don't do that. And so to, to, to give it a blanket sort of, you know, we should all do this is, is, mm -hmm. is a problem. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the problems I have with, I guess I would say veganism, is not that people shouldn't be allowed to do that, or not that people should should not pursue it if they if they enjoy it, but the fact that they are trying to uh, 
force everybody else to do that when clearly there are people that, that just don't benefit from that and can't benefit from that. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's even an argument to make that animal nutrition is far more uh, nutritionally complete, uh, far more nutritionally uh, bioavailable. I mean, I think that's those that information is is widely uh, accepted by people that you know aren't sort of you know religious about it, you know, and that aren't ideologically bound to to, to a plant based diet. I mean, I think it's clear. I mean, I, I don't think there's you know it's hard to find it's not hard to find data that, that supports that you know, and I think that uh, uh, you know again uh, you know a whole food diet is going to be Almost any other diet, you know, whether you, whether you eat, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think optimally, including some level of animal nutrition in your diet is is good. I, I, I personally think the more the better, you know, even up to including a fully carnivorous diet. I think that's probably uh, the better route to go. But I mean, you know, it's again, we all have our individual choices, at least for now, and that's a problem, you know, where those choices are being potentially, uh, you know. Uh, taken away from us. And I think that's that's one of the problems we have to kind of stand up against. I agree with you personally as well. I, I think the elimination of meat completely, it, it just doesn't sit right for me as an individual, at least. I've, I've always been a pretty big meat eater. Pretty much with every meal, there's a portion of some kind of poultry or fish or meat. Um, eliminating that just would not feel right. I've tried to go on, I went on a vegan diet for a week just to see what it was. And maybe I could have persevered, but it just felt incomplete. You know, my eggs, the chicken, the meat, these things just you know, make me feel good. And I feel like as if I'm, I'm, I'm balanced in terms of what my body needs. I'm not suggesting that if you're a vegan, you can't feel the same way. But I struggle to think there's enough bioavailable protein and some of the micronutrients that you are that are so densely uh, packed in meat because they've had the benefit of eating vegetables, right? So they've got this kind of, um, yeah, this denser version, and um, usually more bio bioavailable version of the things you'd get through eating vegetables. That, in my, in my view, is why would you not want to accelerate optimal nutrition by having meat? Because you're getting the benefit of the, the food chain. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it comes for a lot of people an ideology, you know, and I and I think this is, a, you know, when I there was a time, you know, as as, as you might imagine, I've had a lot of uh, folks that pursue a vegan diet that don't like my message. They they they're just ideologically opposed to eating meat, and so they often uh, will engage in me sometimes in a not a very not a, not a particularly nice way. But when you know when I used to talk to you know when I used to try to engage with these folks, I would I would just ask them a simple question, and I said, you know, if your health depended upon eating some animal products, would you do it? And almost universally, the answer was no. I would so I would let my health suffer. And I, and I just I, that was just the end of the discussion for me. I was like, I, I just don't, I can't relate to that philosophy. And so I think that is, you know, the, the problem you have that people are willing to sacrifice their own health, you know, to save, uh, you know, save an animal. I, I just, you know, I, I, it's just a different, different set of, um, you know, ideologic values. Yeah, it's... Uh... Too, too often the the moral and ethical discussion is getting uh, blended with the nutritional discussion and it's hard to have a purely nutritional debate uh, with someone that's pro-vegan um, about the benefits that they may be missing out on it, it's just it falls on their fears and again this isn't to slander um, people that choose to have a vegan diet it's just my experience too uh, especially when it comes to social media is that it's um 
as you say, it's dogmatic, uh, usually the discussion, and there are a lot of diet zealots. And whilst you're clearly a proponent of the carnival diet, I do hear some flexibility in your discussion. I don't think you're trying to convert the world to being carnivores. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, no, I would agree. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I think it's a tool. I think for some people it works, you know, ideal. I think particularly people that are having, you know, health issues. Uh, you know, I do think, you know, quite honestly, even from a performance standpoint, I think a lot of people would really benefit. Do I, do I want the whole world to go carnivore? No. Do I think the whole world will go carnivore? No. Do I think even a small percentage, you know, will go? I, 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 I don't think that's likely, but mm. It is an option for for many people, and I think the more people that that are trying it or finding out, it's a it's a very good option to use. You know, you know, at least to some degree. And then there's a lot of people that, that take up this term. They call it carnivore adjacent, or they realize that, you know, their nut- nutrition is coming from you know animal products, and they make that you know as opposed to what we're being told now is to make meat a condiment. You know, yeah. and, you know, fill your plate up with great whole grains and fruits and vegetables, and then put a little tiny sliver of meat on there so you don't die. I mean that that's the message we're getting when I, when I think that that is basically a message of you know subsistence. I mean that's that's not how to thrive as a as an individual or, or as a population. And I think that is you know what you know I'm trying to say. Look, there is a food that humans have eaten for all of our existence. You know, and and, and you know, arguably the last ten thousand years we got away from that as we took up agriculture and became a grain based civilization or a species rather and. Uh, that wasn't necessarily a step in the right direction. And I think people that are seeing what, you know, what, uh, you know, eating in a, in a more carnivorous fashion can do for their health and, and optimal, you know, health, health situation and thriving is, 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 is very interesting. So here's a, a, an attached question to that, which is you've got the likes of Stephen Gundry and McCola and various other leading figureheads as it relates to nutrition, um, generally, you know, the older population that are reaching a conclusion that meat should be a condiment. Um, I think the the guy who studies Alzheimer's as well, uh, Dale Bredesen, I think his I think his name is. He he also suggests the same, which is meat should be included, um, but it should not be the majority of your diet for pro. Um, pro longevity benefits there seems to be quite a discussion around you know lots of meat could potentially be uh cancerous in as much that it's pro aging and it's pro growth and if you're not if you're not having opportunities for autophagy and um, opportunity for things to basically uh recycle and regenerate uh, there is a chance that eating too much protein, generally speaking, whether it be meat-based or otherwise, could be detrimental to lifespan. I'm sure you've had that debate or you've considered it. What are your what's your counter to that? What are your thoughts on those observations that you hear in some of these, um, you know, big big names suggesting regarding small amounts of animal-based protein? Yeah, I mean it's a good good point. We actually had this discussion on my podcast with uh, with Professor Ben Bickman the other day, and uh, you know it's it's kind of interesting. You know that data that suggests that protein you know might stimulate mTOR and lead to aging and and and, and that sort of stuff is, is is all been gleaned from very low level animal studies from you know lower organisms, worms, flies, mice. Uh, there's no real good human data that actually supports any of those suppositions, and in fact. 
you know, it's as simple as going to look at, you know, like the population of Hong Kong. They, they live longer than any people on the entire planet. You can look that up. It's very verifiable. Let's look up Hong Kong life expectancy. And then if you look up their meat consumption, they eat more meat than any other population on the planet. So and we've got this huge, as well. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they beef, they eat a lot of pork and stuff like that. But I mean, they, they eat a lot. I mean, they eat more than anybody else on the planet. And they live longer than anyone else. And so, you know, one of the things we know with uh, mTOR stimulation is, you know, if you're really concerned with high levels of mTOR, uh, the greatest stimulator for that is actually insulin. And so, you know, a, a meat-based diet is not a great stimulant of insulin relative to, a, you know, a high-carb diet, and particularly when you eat frequently. And the thing about mm. autophagy, uh, you know, there's probably is some benefit from not eating that frequently. And, and what happens naturally to people on a, on a carnivorous diet is they don't eat that much. I mean, you might eat one or two meals a day. And so these these whole concerns about autophagy, that's going to that's gonna perfectly meld with that. You know, it's, it's, mm. most people that do this say, it, you know, a lot of people talk about the benefits of fasting or intermittent fasting, and, and it becomes extremely easy to do that. And most people just naturally do that, you know, eating this way. And so uh, we see what happens to people that restrict their protein as they age. I mean, we can just go through a nursing home. And, and, you know, if we look at the, uh, you know, U.S. population in particular, we only eat about 12% of our calories uh, coming from protein. And we, we just, as we age, we just deteriorate. And, and they're, like I said, the, the data that these guys are pointing to, again, you have to remember it's coming from mouse studies. It's coming from uh, uh, just, you know, things that, that don't really apply necessarily and evenly to human. And we, we don't understand all that we, we still don't understand all the nuances about mTOR. We don't understand all the nuances about autophagy yet. Uh, so to make those sort of pro proclamations and not have any real human data to support it is to me very premature. And, and you know, again, I just, you know, like I said, you, you just find so many, so many examples that sort of directly counter that in actual human beings. So like I said, in actual human beings, that doesn't seem to hold up. And I think the benefits of protein generally outweigh these suggested downsides. You know, there's, there's lifespan and then there's health span, right? There's feeling strong and being strong and you know thriving whilst you're alive versus in living living to 150 and i think most people when asked that question would would rather have a good life in the moment for as long as they can not to suggest they want to die by 60 but living until 200 is less of i think on people's wish list it's feeling good feeling young feeling healthy for as long as you're here and protein you know, being the, you know, the building block of, you know, functionally strong, capable body, in my, my mind, and I'm no scientist, but based on my personal anecdote, and just listening to everything that I have so far, I think the consensus when you speak to people without a dog in a fight, is that you probably want a higher protein diet than a, a very low one. Yeah, I, uh, Particularly as you get older, we know that that uh, people tend to absorb less protein, so you have to you have to increase that in your diet. You know, just based on that, and, and why that happens is that you know there's problems with digestion and other issues with that. But, um, you know, protein, uh, you know, to put on muscle, you need protein. I mean, that's clear. I mean, this is how you build muscle. You don't build muscles with carbohydrates. It requires protein. And you have to have amino acids. The, the literature is very clear on that. And the best source of, of, of bioavailable protein, particularly things like leucine, uh, are animal source proteins. And so 
as we age, and you talked about this, you know, not only is your function better, but we know unequivocally that maintaining lean muscle mass, maintaining strength is also highly correlated with longevity. So it's not just health span, you know, maintaining muscle mass is going to make you live longer, you know, at least based on what we know at this point. And so, Again, this is this is all in contrast to, to to the people that talk about you know minimizing protein, which is not going to uh, facilitate uh, maintaining as muscle mass as much muscle mass as you could if you if you didn't. So I mean, and, and there's exercise and resistance training that goes into there too, and I think those things are important. But from a dietary standpoint, uh, yeah, I think we are uh, we eat far too little protein, and and you know the the whole uh, sort of anti-meat sentiment is, is just going to make that problem even worse. I agree. Um, one of the things I, I wouldn't mind just digging a little deeper in, you said that you you tried paleo and you, you tried various diets in, in an attempt to improve health and just generally how you feel. Can you just spend a minute on describing why paleo wasn't enough or, or what the symptoms were that you were trying to resolve and how shifting so what is a, a more extreme elimination of all other foods? How that how that manifested and the de- and the benefits that you saw between say a clean paleo diet and the carnivore diet? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in, in in between there, there was a there was a ketogenic diet, you know, for a while, and so I think you know for me, you know, as, at that point I was in my late forties, uh, mid to late forties. Um, when I made the shift from away from a you know a more strict paleo diet, and I started paying more attention to a, you know, more fat-based metabolism, uh, and, and I think part of that was you know one looking forward to see if it would give me a performance advantage, but two, uh, you know things like joint pain. You know I had some tendon tendon issues, some jo- small joint pain, and I had sort of read about you know that the you know, ketogenic diet potentially helping with that, and so that's that's what kind of drove me to. Uh, experiment with with a you know a, a more ketogenic style or more low carb st- style diet and you know and quite honestly it did help and so I, I thought that you know again all things being equal you know going with how I feel uh, and and you know for someone who likes to train as an athlete it's nice not to have joint pain you know it's it, you can train better and and that was something important to me and then in the same evolution when I started looking at the carnivore diet, I just saw more and more of the same evidence, but even in, in, a, in a more uh, uh, greater sense, you know, we had people, I saw a lot of people that were on ketogenic diets that still had this or that medical issue that cleared up finally when I went on a carnivorous diet. And I'd still had a few things, you know, nothing major, but I mean, it was just enough for me to experiment with. And, and sure enough, uh, the mild things that I still had hanging on, even though I was on a ketogenic diet, just completely cleared up for me on, on a carnivorous diet. That that blows my mind, and I'm I'm sure it'll blow many other people's mind. This idea of going against the, uh, you know, the nationwide, worldwide view of the importance of fruit and vegetables making up a big chunk of our diet, to completely eliminating them and feeling great, it um, goes against the grain, right? It, it's not what people expect. Uh, did you expect to feel as good as you did? And and is there any? Can you hypothesize on why you feel so good? Is it is it a, a sensitivity to fruits and some f- fruits and vegetables that you think by eliminating you feel great? Or is there something else going on here? Is there is it pesticides? Is it what what, what could be causing that profound shift when eliminating something that is you know been has been pushed so 
vigorously as being fundamental to human health? Um, I mean, was it surprising to me? Yeah, it actually was. I mean, to the degree that uh, I saw improvements, you know, particularly in athletic performance was really shocking to me. I saw these because I was already competing at a world-class level and I saw just a huge, you know, I calculated something like an 8% improvement in my performance over what was already a world-class performance. So that was very shocking to me. Um, as to why it occurs, you know, and, and you know, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. I had a patient of mine that I replaced her hips. Uh, she was an 83 year old woman. I replaced both of her hips, you know, and, and she told me that she, and this is something that I just remembered. She, you know, she told me that back in the 1960s, her and her husband moved up to Alaska out in the middle of nowhere. They lived by themselves, you know, off the land. They basically survived on caribou. That's all they ate. They had no other food. They might've had a few berries here and there. And I asked her how, you know, how that made her feel. And she said that that's the best I'd ever felt in my entire life. You know, and she did that for 18 years. You know, they, they lost a child. There was a movie made about her or their children's, you know, their child drowned in the ice up there. But I mean, at the same time, she said that was the happiest, best she'd ever felt in her entire life, which I thought was interesting. But I mean, as to why it may be happening, you know, certainly uh, the point about the, the nutrient availability, again, again, meat is just better nutrition in my view, particularly when it comes to uh, one, how easily it's, it's digested and absorbed. I mean, it's just, it's just clearly better. What, what are we, what are we, uh, you know, aside from getting rid of the, 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 the main culprits, which would be the, you know, the processed grains, the sugars and the seed oils, which I think most people would, would agree are probably not good for the diet, but what, what good would, you know, eliminating fruits and vegetables be, you know, for some people and myself included, you know, I probably had some degree of irritable bowel syndrome, you know, looking back on that and, and just assuming that was normal function, you know, you, you know, your guts kind of hurt a little bit after a meal, you know, it's kind of normal, you know, you just kind of, you know, this is the way it is. But, you know, then I, then I, when I stopped eating the fruits and vegetables, it's like everything went away, just no gastrointestinal issues whatsoever. So I think there is uh, some degree of maybe I had some underlying inflammatory gut problems. Maybe the fact that the way we grow our fruits and vegetables these days with, you know, again, maybe exposure to a lot of pesticides, maybe the fact that they've been hybridized, you know, maybe the fact that our fruit is, you know, you know, 10 times sweeter than it used to be. And, you know, in, in the natural human diet, I mean, I think all those things may be uh, contributing to that. So, I, you know, I, I, yeah, it's probably a combination of, you know, of the above, quite honestly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it- <laughs> When you talk about nutritional completeness for um, when it comes to meat, is, is is that hitting all of the the micronutrients? Is there anything that you supplement with or you are concerned about in terms of daily or weekly intake as it relates to any of the micronutrients, any of the you know any of the metals? You know, if you look on a if you look at a carnivore diet on paper. You know, and, and it depends how you formulate it. There are, there are certainly people out there that, that can show you that if you eat, uh, just like a vegan diet, if you eat X amount of organ meat and, and, and different seafood products and, you know, you know this types of fat and you balance everything, you, you can certainly make a carnivore diet, cover all your bases nutritionally uh, without any supplementation and hit, hit all your RDA numbers. You know, you, you, can, you can certainly do that. You know, it's a little more difficult than, than, than some people might want to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that strategy. But the more interesting thing to me was the fact that I am clearly not getting the RDA for vitamin C. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just so far under the, the RDA for, for vitamin C that you would think that I would have 
all of these health issues. You know, my teeth would be falling out. I've gotten scurvy. You know, scurvy sets up in, you know, four weeks to, to 12 weeks, mm-hmm. somewhere in that time frame. Clearly, that didn't happen to me. So then the question becomes, why not? You know, and then you have to start looking back into um, <clears throat> how were those RDAs determined? And we know that it's basically expert opinion was what 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 guides the RDAs. And, and we know that that's also the lowest quality of evidence we have. And so we're basically, you know, kind of kind of it's kind of like a guess as to what people should eat. It's like, you know, the evidence is not great, but we're going to lay these numbers down. And then that, that's what nutrition has been founded on. And then additionally, we know that uh, when you eat a carbohydrate based diet or a plant based diet or a fiber rich diet, that many of those vitamins and minerals, you know, we can look at things like magnesium and zinc and iron and copper. Many of those minerals are not easy to absorb when you have fiber in the diet, when you have oxalates in the diet, when you have other, some of these, you know, uh, you know, uh, phytic acid, when you have some of these compounds in the diet that you get from a plant based diet, those minerals don't get absorbed as well. And therefore, the RDA requirement has to go up higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So when you eliminate those foods from the diet, it's most likely that those numbers are, are much less than what you, than what you would assume if it, you know if you were eating the, the meat or not eating the meat, the plants. And so I think that's that's part of the equation is we just don't know. And I mean, certainly if you look on paper and you said, well, what's not in meat? You know, you'd say, well, there's not enough vitamin C. There may not be enough vitamin A. There may not be enough vitamin E. There may be uh, difficulties with you know some forms of vitamin K. Uh, so there are things that, you know, you could say on paper, you're not hitting those, 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 those different nutrients. But at the same time, you know, if we look at it, you'd say, well, those things would have clinical consequences. If I were vitamin A deficient, there would be a number of things that I would have clinically that, uh, uh, you know, I could, I could easily pick up, particularly over time. And despite that, and I, and I don't go out of my way to eat liver. I, I eat almost no organ meats. I mean, it's mostly, you know, steak and, you know, and, and sometimes some seafood, sometimes some eggs. But it's mostly, you know, 99% of my diet, 98% of my diet is just some kind of red meat, you know, and it's, you know, a steak or a hamburger. And I'm not getting any of those things. I'm not even close. In fact, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as an athlete, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting better and better. I, I keep getting stronger and faster despite getting older. And so it, it just doesn't line up. And so I think, you know, again, I think we have so many um, problems with our nutritional knowledge. I mean, again, it's all this epidemiology, which is just almost unreliable. We almost have to ignore that. You know, we've got, you know, so many intervention trials where all we look at is biomarkers. We don't have hard outcomes. We, we, you know, you might say, well, a three-week trial of fiber decreased someone's cholesterol by 20 points. You're like, well, that's nice. What does that really mean? You know, we don't know. You know, we're, we've got associations, which we associate with other associations. And then we have another association beyond that and trying to make an assumption. And, and those those assumptions are just not necessarily valid assumptions. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the, the end of the result. At the end of the day, it's like, what are your actual results? You know, it doesn't matter what, what the study says, what, what the theory is, because it's only just theory. Mm. It's, you know, tangible results. And, you know, you can look in the mirror. And I, and I know this is a a controversial statement, but I mean, you should be able to look in the mirror and know if you're healthier today than you were six months ago. I don't think that's hard for many of us to, to say conceptually, but, but there's a lot of pushback from that because you can't say, well, what, you know, what was my exact, my blood value of my, my vitamin C. And, and, and again, you know, it's like, we have to remember that even those, even those blood, num- you know, the blood, the blood numbers 
are variable. They change every single day. And so they're not even that reliable to look at. And so I think you have to, you know, you have to look at the big picture. I, I totally agree. How, how you show up and how you feel is really the, the true litmus test as to, you know, how healthy and the sense of thriving that you have. That being said, as you've said, there's RDAs, there are uh, recommended blood values that we should be sitting within a range of. Is it is it true to say that some of the blood, you know, the blood guidance that we have, blood work guidance we have is based on one, uh, a, a, you know, a standard diet, being able to metabolize that standard diet. And two, in the elimination or, or severe reduction of certain carbs, or of of vegetable matter that we don't necessarily need the rdas because we're not having to metabolize all these other foods is is there something in that too that you just don't need as much vitamins and minerals to work through metabolizing other food types because they're not in your diet and therefore your blood work and, and also your consumption is going to look less than what's recommended but you're also processing different things as well is there something in that yeah, no, absolutely there is. I mean, you know, first of all, the uh, these uh, standard reference ranges for labs were, you know, uh, almost un unequivocally determined on people eating a, you know, standard diet of, you know, probably 60% carbohydrate and a large grain-based diet. And so those numbers that we use as standard reference ranges, you know, may or may not be applicable to people on different types of diets. And, you know, we can think about, we can talk about things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, lipid markers we can talk about thyroid hormone we, there's a whole host of things that, that may or not we can talk about you know uh, uh, uh urinary or uh, creatinine levels and blood urea nitrogen levels all those things potentially are different depending on what your baseline diet is yeah. but we can you know we can look back even as far back as the late 1800s they knew that different dietary strategies would change vitamin and mineral requirements i mean there's studies on and you know even looking at animal studies you know, back in the 1800s, there was, there's a well, there's a condition called beriberi, which is a thiamine deficiency, and there's a wet beriberi and dry beriberi, and one's a cardiac, it causes congestive heart problems, and one causes neurologic problems. And, and what they saw is animals that were on a high carb diet, if their thiamine levels were at a certain level, they would get beriberi. But if you put them on a low carb diet, and those th and those thiamine levels were at the same level, they would not get the disease because the carbohydrate diet increased the requirement for that particular uh, vitamin. And so we, we, we just know that happens. And so that's, you know, that, that's been known for 100 plus years. But again, because we assume everybody roughly eats kind of the same diet, and most of us do. I mean, there's not that many people out there that are crazy eating just an all-meat diet. So, you know, if we look at the general population, if some generic guy walks into your office and you take his blood test – you know, the assumption is going to be, and, and most doctors don't even ask people what they eat, you know, the assumption is going to be, okay, well, you're, you know, you're whatever's uh, you're out of range and therefore we need to treat you this way, maybe give you a drug. But when, you know, but what's really going on is it may be that person just has a diet that's not the standard diet and, and those numbers are perfectly normal and acceptable for that particular diet. So, so that, but again, you know, that's a lot of work to, to determine all that. You'd have to get new reference ranges. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but I think, you know, again, I, I just think we have too many assumptions around nutrition and health and fitness in general that, you know, that are, are just that they're just assumptions. And I think generally from whether it be government, uh, recommended guidelines through to, you know, who recommendations and, you know, RDAs and reference range for blood work, uh, and also, you know, the discussion around macro 
percentages you know this is what you should eat this is what you shouldn't eat i, I think both at a kind of uh, societal level and at an individual level we like having black and white rules a generic how to on how to run your life nutritionally exercise everything but i think the more people are you know observing and, and experimenting especially over the last decade i think what's coming out loud and clear is this need for an individualized approach to nutrition you know based on you know your hereditary uh, based on you know where you are right now based on the requirements you have in your lifestyle based on your microbiome there's so many things that will dictate whether you are um, good for having certain foods or if there's a bias to other foods that you should have. And I am blown away by the microbiome research in particular that is calling out the need for us to stop taking a blanket approach to the nutritional guidelines and instead eating what your body is designed to eat. And that could be based on your your family line, it could be based on a number of things based on your lifestyle over the last 30 years dictates what you should be eating on a go forward basis. What you're talking about, I think is just playing into that, this idea that, you know, these RDAs are only relevant to having a, a specific type of diet. And as you shift your diet, those recommendations change. And I think as we move forward, if there could be, you know, RDAs based on, quote unquote, diet types, that would be really helpful. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's certainly uh, a laudable goal. I don't know that it'll happen. I might take too much work. There might be say, well, how many diets are you going to test? Yeah. Are there a hundred diets? And there might be the case. And so, I, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath on that happening. But I do think it's it's probably something that's needed. Um, I think you know we talk about blanket guidelines, you know, and and I agree with it. we 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 have these nutritional guidelines, and they're not one size fits all. And, and you know that's that's a huge problem we have here in the U.S. and, and the U.K. You know, similarly adopts something similar. You know, we could I, we could probably blanket say don't eat this stuff. You know, I could say you know don't eat donuts. I mean, and just tell everybody you know that we shouldn't be eating this processed. Uh, you know, and, and not that all processing is bad, but I mean, you know, we, we've got an idea of, you know, something that's, you know, 20% corn syrup and 30%, you know, soybean oil. And, you know, you throw in some kind of wheat to, to give it some substance and you know, refined flour. That's probably not good for the human diet. And, you know, we could have guidelines to say, just don't eat this crap. Don't drink sodas. I mean, I think that would, that, that blanket statement would probably solve about 80% of the, of the, uh, health issues we have, you know. Uh, the chronic health disease issues we have, and we just made that as a guideline. But the problem is that is what is, you know, we've got a big world to feed and it's tough to feed people uh, just to get them calories. And, and the best way, you know, the most, this is interesting, the most uh, economical way to get people calories, uh, you know, when we talk about crops and resources and how much bang you get for your buck from a caloric output is sugar. Mm -hmm. Sugar is the most economical crop to grow when, when we're just talking about in context of calories. And, and that, unfortunately, is where the discussion is going yeah. is just how do you feed more people calories to get them from, from not starving? Well, you know, as we know, most of the developed world starvation is not the issue. But we still have that sort of, you know, thing, thing in the back of our mind. And it's more how do you get people nutrition, not calories? And there's a difference between the two. Um, so I think that is, you know, again, where animal source, you know, uh, material comes from. I think animals are just far more nutritious. Um, is it sustainable to consider a, uh, a population that leans in on meat consumption across the world? 
you know, if, you know, if we look at, uh, I think the worldwide meat consumption, now it's, it's not very much, you know, overall, I mean, it's, it's probably in the U S you know, when we're talking about red meat. We, in the U S we only eat about three ounces a day, two and a half ounces a day, which, you know, and I want when I compare it to my diet, that's, that's nothing. That's a fraction. I mean, I, that's not even two bites for me. Um, you know, that is, uh, you know, if we could double the amount of meat that, that people got in the world and, and, and that's clearly doable. And that, and that would, uh, you know, that would, that would raise probably uh, the health of, of, of much of these developed nations, you know, uh, throughout the world, you know, and, and that's, that's almost doable without even getting more cattle on the planet. You know, it's, it's one of the problems we have, one of the biggest problems we have about sustainability and this goes to like, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which are, again, over talked about as far as the, the, the problem from from livestock. But 80 um, percent of the greenhouse gases that, that are emitted by livestock are coming from developing countries, you know, third world countries that, that are starving. And, and, you know, if you were go, if you were to say, let's everybody go vegan to, to, to save the planet, doing it, doing so in the UK would have almost no impact on worldwide greenhouse gases. If every single human being in the United States were to go vegan and every single animal that we raise for food were to disappear, if all that were to happen, you know, you know, just miraculously, the impact on global greenhouse class gases was 0.3 percent. That would be the difference in the reduction for 330 million people to go vegan in the U.S. And so it's, it's almost wow. no effect because – and the reason for that is because – you know, as much as people vilify some of the practice in the United States, you know, but 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 this is generally, you know, um, um, you can say this about Western Europe. You can say it about other countries that are in the developed world. The 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 animal uh, agriculture practices are extremely efficient. We're we're very good at breeding the animals. We're very good at nourishing the animals. We're very good at not letting them get sick. And so the yield is so much more efficient. And then when we contrast that to places like you know, sub-Saharan Africa, where it may take you 20 years of raising a cow to, to get it to where it's something you can eat. I mean, that that is far more, uh, uh, you know, environmentally resource intensive. And so if you were to bring, if you were to bring up the uh, efficiency of the rest of the world to what they had in the United States in 1960, you would, you would, you would cut, you know, emissions down, you know, worldwide by about 40%, something along those lines. So you can and, and you could you could increase the yield tremendously. So you could you could dramatically increase the yield of food produced without you know any more resources, just by improving the efficiency and practices. And then if you were just to increase the number of animals, and, and by the way, uh, over the last thirty years, um, uh, the number of cattle in the world has shrunk by about ten percent. You know, so this is the other thing that kind of plays against this environmental argument: how cows are making the world worse. Their population has gone down. In the U.S., the the cattle population went from a peak of about 130 million to about just about 95 million. So we've lost 30 percent of our cattle in the U.S. Um, in the last 30 or 40 years since 1977, I think, is when it peaked. And so, you know, these these arguments about it being unsustainable or causing all this environmental data, the math doesn't even add up when you look at the actual numbers that are out there. And so, I do think that uh, you know we could certainly get more people, more nutrition. Uh, and do it in a sustainable way. And, and, and as we continue to improve the, uh, you know, the practices, and that, that's clearly doable. And it, it's just a matter of having the will, the will to do that. Mm. 
and I, I do think there's a there's a fair rebuttal to that. That would be that would come your way from vegans and and many many people that care about you know humane practice is that they'll look at how much of uh, you know poultry and meat is reared, uh, or at least we're led to believe that much of which is farmed in you know gross conditions, both for the animal and and likely for for us as the consumers with the antibiotics and you know the corn fed it's all corn fed and various other things that are all in uh the benefit of speed efficiency and profit and not necessarily in the benefit of nutritional completeness and health and uh hu- you know humane practice i suspect albeit i'm not 100 you can confer you can um rebut me on this but i suspect you you care about sustainable and humane practice of the meat that you eat or or, is, or do you think that's uh, conflated too yeah i would agree with you that uh it, it you know it's going to vary i think chickens you know particularly in the u.s i don't think that production system is is particularly helpful i mean i think that is probably clear I, you know i've been to cattle ranches i've been to feedlots to see how the the cattle are treated and it's a different story there i mean i think it, it, it you know again there's no it's more nuanced than we think it is, you know, and, and there's different, most of the feedlots in the United States uh, are, you know, they're small, they're not huge, they're just a few animals, you know, and, and, and so what we have to understand is, um, you know, the, the differences in the different types of animals, you know, if we if we look at, you know, if we, we look, even if, if you want to say grain-fed beef is not your choice, you know, um, and there's different reasons why you may support that. But even if you look at that, you know, if you look at the average cow, it spends something like 80% of its life in pasture regardless, regardless of how it's finished. If we look at how much, you know, when people think, when people think, you know, I'm, I'm eating an animal that's been fed corn, their their impression is they're they're sitting in a cage or, or a little small pen. And from day one, they're they're fed corn. You know, that's all they're fed. That's not what that's happens That's what we're showing on the telly, right? But that's not what happens at all. I mean, they they spend eighty percent of their life as a you know as a calf. They, they they're on the capacity with their mom, and then they they spend you know six eight months, ten months a year, out in pasture. And then then at the end, for the last you know three or four months of their life, they'll go to one of these you know feeding operations, and there they'll have by law, at least in the United States, they have to have something like two hundred square feet of dedicated room per animal. It's not like they're they're packed in and they're, they're they're at no point are they in a cage except maybe for veterinary exams when they have to isolate them. But I mean, they're 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 roaming around there. Their diet, even in the feedlots, is not 100% corn. They're still getting you know most of their nutrition from forage material, as hay and different you know grasses, and then they mix in with that. And so when it comes to the end of the day, only about something like 10% of their diet actually is is grain based. I mean, and you know it's so it's it's not that that's all they eat so it's a, it's a huge misconception then we look at you know what's the difference on human health and i you know I, it's very easy to say well i think it's bad that these animals eat corn when they're when they're when they like to eat grass well you know if, if you talk to a rancher many of them if you put an if you put a cow out in a field and there's grass and there's corn stalks they're going to go feed. They're going. They're going to naturally walk there and eat the corn because they like it better. Isn't that is isn't that a hyper palatability thing? You know, just like we prefer to go and have donuts <laughs> versus yeah, the vegetables. Yeah, you certainly. Know? Well, I mean, that's what they prefer. But I mean, if you if you think about what is corn, you know, corn's a grass, right? I mean, that's what it is. And so, mm-hmm. what are what are you know the 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 the, the 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 stuff we eat, the corn that, that comes from that is is a seed. And so, what happens to grass when you let it grow naturally? You know, if you, if you don't cut your lawn for, 
all summer. At the end of the summer, what happens to it? It turns mm. to seed, right? So if we're talking about natural animals back, you know, 50,000 years ago, no one was mowing the lawn for them. So at the end of the year, June, July, August, when it got hot, guess what they're doing? They're, they're out there eating the seeds anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of saying what is their natural diet? It's, it's just only eating this grass. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, you know, so, the, you know, they've got Again, if you go to a, these people that take care of the animals, you got to remember these people that work there, these people that dedicate their entire life to raising cattle, they don't dislike the animals. They love the animals. I mean, they're they're very much – that's why they went into it because they enjoy working with animals and it's not – it does them no benefit to have sick animals. You know, sick, stressed-out animals. It doesn't benefit anybody in that side. It doesn't. It doesn't help them from a. It certainly doesn't help them from a financial standpoint. You know, and if, if they do things that are stressful to the animals, it, it 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 reduces the quality of the meat. If they, you know, if they if they have antibiotics in their system at time of slaughter, they get fined heavily. I mean, it's a, these misconceptions out there are just not based in anybody's actually. You know, go to a go to a ranch. I mean, if you can go to the UK, I'm sure you can go to a working ranch out there. And, and see for yourself. And, and, and that's the problem we have. We've been exposed to so much propaganda mm-hmm. by these, 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 these films where they'll, they'll go to some third world country and they'll show some you know, cruel way to slaughter an animal and say, well, that's how it's done everywhere. And so this is, again, these things are more nuanced. They're not black and white. You know? And so we, we just have to sort of be willing to, to do a little more research. It almost feels like there needs to be a, a counter, uh, not propaganda, but there needs to be a counter to a what you know, I've grown up seeing those videos, right? Those slaughterhouses, whether it be chicken or 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 beef or other things, and you look at it and you you know you shudder. You don't want to see what's happening, uh, how these animals are treated, and I can see how that is such a strong emotive reason for people to turn their back on uh, animal products. I can understand why it, it creates a similar sensation in me when I watch those those films, but you're suggesting that. Perhaps there's, you know, a strong bias in the films that we've seen, even dating back for the last 20 years or so. And uh, we're just not getting the full story as it relates to how these animals are reared and, you know, fed. Yeah, I mean, it's easily enough to test. Just go to, just go to your local rancher and go ask. And, and many of them will, will generously show you what's going on. I mean, that that's the problem, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, this is what propaganda is. You take the worst of the worst and you you, you portray it as that's commonplace. It's every day. Uh, you know, that you can look at any practice that humans are involved in. You know, you, you could look at any of that stuff and, and you can always show the worst and, and you could you could you could get these emotional responses. And that's what people are preying upon your emotions to, to advance a, you know, an agenda. And unfortunately, there's a lot of profit involved in this. You know, the, the desire to put everybody on an, you know, an animal free diet is, is only going to result in, in more consumption of processed foods. It's it. That's just the way it works. And, and, and the companies that uh, are that stand to make billions of dollars on these fake meat products and that's these, quite a uh, conspiracy and, and, you've got loaded up there <laughs> well i mean i you know i don't even think it's that hard to even claim it's a conspiracy i think it's a profit i think yeah. it's just you know it's big business they're going to make money and you know we, we've got like the eat lancet report just came out uh you know their their recommendation for global health you know the diet is by calorie 53 percent grains sugar and seed oils i mean that's what their diet is and it's something like you know, you get seven grams of red meat a day. I mean, that's seven grams. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And so uh, that and if you look at the companies that sponsored that research or that proposal, I mean, it's 
all these huge processed food companies and some drug manufacturers. I mean, that, those are by and large their sponsors. And so if you've got, a, you've got those companies telling the world what to eat, you know, and then they make processed foods and, the, and you know, 53 percent of the calories are basically processed food calories. You've got to wonder, you know, who's, who, whose interest is at heart? Are we serving the interest in world health? Are we serving the interest in, in, in corporate profit? And I think that's what we're seeing. I think that is such a great point. I was only making this uh, observation to my wife a couple of days ago. So we've got uh, veganuary happening in, in the UK. I think it's probably happening over in the States as well. Is that right? Uh, it probably has. Yeah, we, we've got World Carnivore Month in January too. So <laughs> oh, really? that's, that's, that's a counter. Yeah, we've had thousands of people go carnivore this month. So. <laughs> well, anyway. that's, that's funny. Well, um, well, this veganuary uh, movement obviously is forcing all the big supermarkets to stock up with lo loads of vegan-based products. And, you know, in my mind, when I think um, going on a vegan diet, you'd like to think mostly whole, whole food, vegetables and fruits. But it's mind-blowing to walk down the aisles of a supermarket at this time of the year and probably for you know it's going to bleed on for the next few months where you're just seeing a just blossoming vegan aisle or series of vegan aisles but the problem is a lot of this stuff is going is going out of date there's so much choice so much choice and there's so much stuff that's being you know sold cheap thereafter because it's not being sold and i just can't help but to think that our problem isn't one of we're producing too much meat that's going to cause loads of world problems or we're producing too much raw vegetables i think the problem is that we're allowing ourselves to have so much choice as it relates to processed food that the majority of waste both in terms of expense uh, industry um uh, packaging everything is going towards giving me a hundred choices of of every product whether it be a ketchup or whether it be a uh, bread or various um, cereal based products it's that huge choice which is leading to so much waste and so much tooling and cost in that industry if we just stopped making so many different things and we had say half a dozen options of every type of food stuff that is available in the processed category and then the super majority of a supermarket was both you know the fresh fruit and vegetables and the meat not saying that's both easily achievable based on current uh, stock levels of those and whether it's sustainable from a profit perspective but that would solve for much of our of, of, of the of the argument that's been ha been had around the sustainability issue of um not going vegan and i i, I just I, that frustrates me because there is so much uh, pretend meat out there you know vegan based meals that are looking like red meat or looking like you know fish or looking like chicken and i just think all of this is just to make money and so much waste is just going down the toilet yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, first of all, to do what you wanted to suggest to limit our choices, you know, it's, that, that, that's counter to capitalism. So you're going to, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of <laughs> Low companies are gonna be, they're going to be, so you're going to have to, you know, adopt a communist style of government. But, um, you know, to the point of the fact that we know historically what happens when you remove animal products from the diet. I mean, it's clear. If we look at, you know, particularly with regard to animal fat, you know, we've seen a tremendous 
in the last you know 75 years, the amount of butter, the amount of lard, the amount of tallow that we used to use to cook in, has dropped you know tremendously. You know you know to 10% what it was, maybe even more. And at that same time, the processed oils have just gone up. And so what we see is anytime animal nutrition is taken out of the diet, it's not replaced with healthful whole plant type foods it's replaced with just processed garbage and it's the same thing that happens and so if you look at the supermarket you've got all these vegan baked goods you've got these vegan fake meat products these vegan you know processed powders and bars and all that stuff that's all this processed garbage and that's what that's what ultimately will really happen it's not like everybody's going to suddenly start you know eating 75 percent more vegetables you know as they take out the meat that's just not not that just is not the way it works. Mm. And so these companies know that. But when you talk about waste, you know, I think something like 40% of the food produced in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, ends up in a landfill. I mean, we just, we're just so wasteful. It yeah. all goes in the vast majority of that is fruits, vegetables, and baked goods. That's what happens. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, efficiency for food production, and then we can talk about human physiology. And we talk about if you eat a, you know, plant-heavy fiber, you know, fiber-heavy diet, which we're being asked to do, grain-heavy diet, Remember, much of that nutrition is locked in by the fiber, which we can't digest. And yeah. so much of that nutrition just ends up in the toilet. And so it's like, where do you, you know, what It's a good way to lose about? weight, right? Because well, if you're not, if, well, if you're not yeah. eating grains and you're just eating uh, cruciferous vegetables and, as you say, fibrous vegetables, you're not, locking, you're not getting a lot of the nutritional and calorie value. Hence the reason, you know, you can lose a lot of weight and think it's right, just sure. a miracle diet. Yeah, I mean, you can lose weight, but I mean, you're, you're malnourishing yourself. And so mm -hmm. I think that that is uh, that's the point here is, you know, if we're going to if we're going to talk about how do you get the most nutrition to the people, that's one of the things they talk about with, you know, meat only diet is you don't go to the bathroom that much because basically you're not wasting any food. You're <laughs> absorbing it all. And that's why these people are just, you know, they're they're just like, you know, they feel so good. So it's 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 kind of a. You know, it, it is again. It's a very complicated, complicated topic, and the, you know, people try to dumb it down and say, you know, meat bad, you know, dead cow bad, you know, get away with that, and that, and that's just, it, it's, it's very problematic, and it's going to lead to probably more of the same, more chronically ill people. Mm. I, I, I think most people don't associate increased processed food with going vegan. They assume, you know more good for the world, more good for themselves in taking that choice. But look, you just have to walk down the supermarket aisles to see whilst they might be in nicer packaging and they might uh, purport to being healthier and loads of, you know, pro-health, pro-nutrition kind of messaging on the packaging, it's still processed food at the end of the day. And I think that is the that should be the discussion, is the reduction in processed food versus the reduction of either meat consumption or vegetable consumption. If we can do that in a way which is sustainable economically i think that's the way to go um i know we are we are on our coming on to our time i have one final question for you yeah let me let me just comment on oh, that go last thing because i think i think i think there's a good lesson we can learn here so you know there historically and probably going forward there's never going to be a huge percentage of the population going vegan we're not going to be 50 percent vegans it'll it'll probably continue to to run at this one two three percent because a lot of people do it and they quit but what's going to happen is you know there's going to be more and more vegan products out there that omnivores will be wanting to eat and it's going to be processed food and, and this is where the this is where the dollars are coming in so if yeah. i decide as an omnivore i'm going to eat meat instead of seven days a week i'm going to eat it three days a week right what am I going to eat instead? 
I'm going to eat the processed vegan food. And, you know, it's not like because you get these people saying, well, I'm on a whole food, you know, plant based diet. You know, that that is an incredibly small percentage of people that will ever pursue that uh, just because, you know, it's it's just very difficult for people to sustain. And so the real matter is, you know, when we talk about the people in the middle, uh, you know, everybody else, you know, when you cut meat out of your diet, it's processed foods. And that's why this is such a big, huge processed food. It's a win for processed food companies. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and I think that is the discussion. That is, so I really appreciate the um, the healthy and um, open-minded debate that we've had. It's been li- really liberating for me to listen to. I've learned a couple of new things. I have one last question for you, Sean, before leading you to the rest of your day, which is you have obviously, uh, you are pursuing this carnivore diet which for the most part is eliminating most other products do you feel any level of imprisonment whether it be due to what your microbiome can no longer process and the reaction you'd have to introducing new foods uh, that then leading into say potential food sensitivities or even allergies and there may be even the social pressure that uh, you you have to not lose face considering you have been the figurehead for this diet, do you feel any level of imprisonment to this diet? And do you anticipate uh, it being difficult to back out of it or start to dilute it a little bit with other product, other foodstuffs if you choose to in the future? Yeah, you know, I've got a book on this that's coming out and I talk about how to, how to transition out the diet. And, you know, I think for, uh, and, I, and I've on many occasions said, I'll eat whatever the heck I want. I, I'm not dogmatically, I'm not here to save the tomatoes. You know, it's not what, not my thing is, you know, it's if I, if I decide, you know, uh, I want to add fruit to the diet, I'll do that. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I, you know, I, it was my son's birthday. He had, we had some cake and I had a piece of cake. Uh, and, and sure enough, I didn't feel particularly good after I ate it. You know, I, did, I, I, you know, I got, I got sick to my stomach, you know, cause I just wasn't used to that. But, you know, to your point, um, yes, you know, when you're on a diet like this, it becomes more difficult to process those other foods. But understanding how physiology works, that's a temporary thing. And so if you if you are determined to add, you know, whatever back to your diet, you know, you can get past the microbiome shifts. It doesn't take that long. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, the same thing like when you transition to any diet, there's going to be some gastrointestinal changes that occur. So I don't I don't feel uh, either ethically or physiologically, you know, trapped at this point. Um, and, and, and like I said, I am, I am uh, at the end of the day, I'm about results. And so if, if I felt that uh, um, I just wasn't feeling as good and I needed something else in my diet, I would not hesitate to do that. And so, I, you know, like I said, there are uh, – this is not for me a dogma. This is just about what's giving me the best results. And, you know, like I said, if it, if it turns out that – in, in, in a year from now, I feel better, you know, eating a mostly meat diet with some fruits and vegetables. I'll be happy to do that. And, and, and it doesn't really change the, the, the message that I have. I, again, I think the carnivore diet is about making meat the central part of your diet. It's about uh, – I think ultimately it's about having freedom of choice because I think that's being, being potentially taken from us. But I think it's – you know, again, it's also about just, um, you know, going with the results. I think that was a great close. It was a great close to talk about this not being a pursuit to convert people to being carnivores, but instead it's to put greater priority to eating meat, uh, having freedom of choice, and offering a counter 
towards a movement which is shunning the idea of me. And I, I think that's what you stand for. I think they they are fantastic values, uh, you know, to drive a healthy discussion through our society over the years to come. Sean, thank you for today, man. Where can people find you on the internet and what other kind of services or products should people be aware of if they want to consume more of your stuff? Yeah, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm fairly active on social media with Instagram, uh, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967. I've got a Twitter account, which I'm also active on, S Baker MD. Uh, you know, my book's coming out, which will talk about a lot of this stuff, the carnivore diet. I think it's available for pre-order on Amazon, and I think it's shipping, I think it's shipping worldwide. Um, meatheels.com is a really good website where we've got just hundreds of testimonials of people that have done the carnivore diet and, and, and just resolved all kinds of uh, health issues, you know, granted their stories, but I, I think they can be inspiring for people. And then we've got the world carnivore tribe, which we started last year is now well over 25,000 people that are, that are participating. They, they kind of support each other on, you know, transitioning into the diet and, you know, different issues. And you can see what kind of successes and struggles they have with it. And then, uh, I've got a uh, website, sean-baker.com, you know, which I've got just some various stuff on there. I, I do some personal consultations and, and and that sort of stuff. And you have a podcast as well. That's true. We have, I've got a <laughs> podcast with my partner, uh, Zach Pitter, the Human Performance Outliers podcast. And we've got some uh, – uh, you know, interesting topics. You know, it's not all carnivore stuff. We've got, uh, you know, it's 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 you know, it's definitely got a low carb bent to it. But we've had vegans on there. We've had vegan physicians on there. We've got uh, people from all kinds of worlds, from you know, different from sportsmen to, to to just different interesting people. So it's uh, it's, it's also a good show to listen to. Brilliant. I'm going to get all these stuff, all this stuff linked into the show notes. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are a force for good. I thank thank you for everything that you've done uh, over the last couple of years and what you continue to do and hey i hope we keep in touch and if i lean more towards being uh, meat dominant i'll let you know but so far i'm i'm a big fan of what you do and uh, just keep keep going on Steve, i appreciate uh, the, you having me on and spread help me spread the word thank you very much i i, I think at the end of the day it's, it's a discussion we need to have and i think we we can't afford just to, to blindly go in one direction without thoroughly, thoroughly investigating, you know, because there's never been a study on, you know, this is the thing we've got these whole, these, uh, these people that talk, they talk about whole food plant-based diets compared to a standard diet. And we don't have a whole food meat-based diet that we've ever compared these things to. And I think that's, that's, that needs to be done before we throw, throw meat under the bus, so to speak. Absolutely. Good stuff. Enjoy the rest of the year and let's keep in touch, man. Take care. All right. So sounds good. See you later. So guys, what did you think about that? Sean's a pretty interesting guy, right? And he's not dogmatic, as you assume he would have been, um, obviously pushing his carnivore diet. It is actually really fascinating to zoom out from this discussion of meat versus plant and actually focus in on where the problems are. And it's neither. It's the stuff in the middle. It's the processed crap that we're making and the inefficiencies in our food system. So look, I hope that was a good episode for you and it got you thinking a little bit more around the choices you're going to make around the food you buy and the food you consume. And guys, you know by now that Adaptation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. Take care. 
If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.